Hello and welcome to another episode of Imprint Companion, the podcast that covers the releases from Australia's own boutique Blu-ray label, Imprint Films. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos and joining me to discuss the first half of this April batch, it is my dear friend Blake Howards. Hello Lex, hello you physical media freaks with a PH out there, wow, I mean... The one word that I have to say about imprints stunning and like like literally like floodwaters dam bursting levels of physical media is I'm tired. I'm like yes. tired. <laughs> it is like it's it's so it, we are just spoiled for the amount mm-hmm. of uh, incredible releases that are coming out at the moment. It's somewhat overwhelming, but it's freaking awesome. And it's awesome to be back chatting with you about it again. Absolutely. And this is a dense batch. It's a big batch and it's an exciting one. There was a lot of movies I'd been anticipating for quite some time. Some that I was looking forward to physical releases from. And then the biggest one is probably the big surprise. I don't think we'd ever see something as comprehensive to cover a true cult classic movie like The Wicker Man in this way. So this episode we're going to cover... Some interesting ones. We're going to talk about this big Wicker Man box that contains different cuts of the movie, so many special features. I'm also going to cover what we're calling Godfather-adjacent movies. Films that (laughs) popped up in, around, before, straight after The Godfather that are in that same kind of mafioso genre. Yes, and really what we're also covering is one of the, I guess rediscoverable neon noir films in cutter's way and a true it would not be an imprint companion without a true and genuine surprise a totally bent police police procedural mystery that feels like it's got its fingerprints and tendrils and influences and so many of the things that we watch a little bit later on from frank perry's man on a swing we're going to talk about that but look lex i know I have to do some confessing here. I am not, I've never been the gigantic Wicker Man aficionado that I know that you have been. And this box set is an education. It is Mm. like, it is multiple cuts, theatrical directors, final cuts of the film, an entire disc in this big epic three case, but four disc batch, including the original soundtrack as well. This gorgeous box that feels I mean, it's so sexy sitting on your shelves with the white and the red Wicker Man writing. But you have dived more extensively into the Wicker Man thing. I don't feel equipped to do it. So mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the the pressure and <laughs> and and the honor um, of covering this incredible and just just fantastic. This is just exactly what Imprint does so well. It's giving you an education about a cult film in its all its comprehensive glory. So talk to me about the Wicker Man box that we're holding in front of us. I could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul, freeze thy young blood. to investigate the disappearance of a young girl. Where is Rowan Morrison? If Rowan Morrison existed, we would know. I suspect murder. Sergeant, I've already... In the name of God, woman, what kind of mother are you? 
that can stand by and see your own child slaughtered. I'm a big fan of the Wicker, Wicker Man. I've loved it for quite some time. I think I discovered it when I was in film school and starting to like develop my taste in horror. And I started to like, and I don't even know if the, the kind of language was there for it yet, but I like those occult horror films that we now mm. call folk horror quite a lot. And the Wicker Man is pretty much the... I guess the crown jewel of what yeah. folk horror definitive, is. Definitive, definitive folk horror. Definitive folk horror movie. You know, it's the godfather of, ho- of folk horror films. It's the one that's known the best. It's the one that's loved the best. It's the one that's kind of crossed over the most, I'd say. There's a few other examples that do, but The Wicker Man is like a known movie. People know the twists of The Wicker Man. People know the iconography of The Wicker Man. People especially know the remake of The Wicker Man for more <laughs> infamous reasons. The um, memification of the remake is is cutting through to this very day on Twitter. If you're absolutely. in film Twitter. And I would say, like, one of the most unique things about The Wicker Man, which is so evident in this new version, uh, in this lovely restoration, the way it looks so beautiful, is that The Wicker Man is always a surprising movie. It's a daytime, for the most part, set horror film, and it's got this lovely kind of countryside, these haze, these kind of autumny colors that look so beautiful. And I think what always surprises people about The Wicker Man is to learn that it is one of the very very few and rare horror musical movies. There's a lot of singing. There's a lot of dancing. There's a lot of like serenading and chanting in The Wicker Man. And I think that's the thing that I got most excited for in this release was seeing that it also comes with, on a bonus disc, the original soundtrack. Um, This also, for that, in that original soundtrack disc, there's a, there's a whole slipcase that you can see there are no less than like 11 mm-hmm. different special features, including one of the things that we're loving to see um, very recently. Is, and this also comes on uh, the Final Cut disc itself is restoration comparison. So comparing yeah. previous versions to new versions, um, you've got like multiple documentaries, um, multiple documentaries around uh, counterculture. And uh, mm-hmm. this is a great one. Willow's song, the liberation of Eve, the wicker man, sexual revolution, counterculture and satanic feminism by the great cat Ellinger, which we love. She's a yeah. big um, the proponent of a lot of the, some of the most fantastic special features we've seen across in print. Um, but it's like multiple documentaries, directors cut audio commentaries and featurettes songs Mm -hmm. promo videos original soundtracks that's just on the special features that's not even on the actual director's cut and the original theatrical cut and then the final cuts it's it's Mm -hmm. it's a pretty intimidating box on that theatrical cut, there's a commentary from film historian Kim Newman and author Sean Hogan. I know Kim Newman is just like one of the great horror minds, so it's perfect to like have that on one of the classic horror films. So there's a lot to dig in here. Like we had so much to cover on this, I could barely scratch the surface on this Wicker Man <laughs> release, and it's one that I want to really spend a lot of time with myself and dive back into because every couple of years I know I need to come back to the Wicker Man. But I think the thing that I can pretty safely say for now at least this feels like a truly definitive compendium of all things Wicker Man and especially like I've also got sitting right next to it on my shelf the new um, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched box set of folk Mm. horror films from Severin 
that I just absolutely adore. Um, and this looks so nice sitting next to each other because that's not <laughs> included in the box set. So having them right next to each other feels so beautiful and so like complete. And, you know, there's always this kind of tension, I'd say, with 4K now. Like, you know, mm. there's a whole new physical media medium where you're like okay are the things i've got definitive anymore if there's already this new thing for a film like the wicker man i cannot imagine a box there'll be anything better than this box set maybe one day who knows in a few years time there will be a 4k release of the film but if you're like a true wicker man fan i think you'd be hard pressed to not pick this up and have like all the goodies and like how great this box set feels and looks, but with how complete it feels, you know, if they make another copy of the movie, you're gonna freaking double dip one day <laughs> for the cut of the movie, the the 4K version. But I, with these kind of movies as well, like Wicked Man, you never know when that can be. Like yes. that could not happen. And in Australia, it took a long time for us to even get any cuts of the wicker man on four on blu-ray and to now have all three is very very special very very cool um this was such a surprise to see it come and i think that it's it's one of the coolest imprint releases easily for me yeah it's it's right up there and i think one of the things that we always want to say as well is we're so stoked that this is an australian boutique blu-ray label that's doing the lord's work but it is not region locked so if you are listening to this in the united states you can get your hot little hands on it i understand that sometimes it's a real challenge to decide to pick a whole batch and to drop in and we we do our best to cover on imprint companion like those batches that are absolutely Mm. essential top to bottom but you know if you are a cult and especially a cult and folk horror fan this is already a must buy but it is absolutely an essential acquisition spend the shipping do Mm. what you need to do get it get it in and and then if some of the other things in the batch sort of help us if we can sway you to them or why this batch is great um definitely do that but like i Mm. think just right at the top this is something that is worthy of much time much pouring over and just like literally taking your time to go through everything because if you're an obsessive it it should really quench your thirst i would say it is quite a high price point you know but you are getting so much with it that's what i think that's kind of like what you have to weigh up with with a release like this where you know you can go in your head oh it's just one movie but it's so packed to the brim there's three different cuts of the movie if you're an obsessive it's easy to go for that price point i feel like it maybe if you're being introduced to the wicker man if you don't already have that love for it maybe that's quite a high price point to jump into but i say keep it on your radar when sales come up you know, JB Hi-Fi in Australia always ends up having like 30% off DVDs and Blu-rays, 20% off DVDs and Blu-rays here and there. Keep it on your radar. If you're buying into it for the first time, maybe it's better to wait for a sale. But if you're a Wicker Man fan, it's, it's hard to pass it up. That's all I can say. I think it's a really great release. All right. Well, let's, let's dive from the Wicker Man. We've had that very extensive box set. It's so great. Um, Lex is the cult horror aficionado out of the two of us and he gives it the emphatic thumbs up. But let's go to what is a really great Godfather-adjacent trilogy of movies starting from 1968 through to 1973, the first of which is The Brotherhood starring Kirk Douglas, the second of which a a New York stone-cold fun city classic across 110th Street, which kind of blends police drama and black exploitation right at a very interesting time 
Um, and another after 100 across 110th Street, which is an Anthony Quinn joint, another Anthony Quinn joint in The Don Is Dead, right hot on the heels of Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather, even has some of the stars in that. Let's kick off with 1968's The Brotherhood. And if you haven't seen this, essentially the son of a powerful mafia Don comes home from army service in Vietnam. He wants to live his own life, but family tradition um, and power, you know, basically, and some power plays involving his brother lead him to find himself being drawn back into the world. Janetta Brothers. What's better than that? Nothing. You're damn right. I need you, Vince. Honest to God, I really need you. Well, mama, the family is always a lie. I capito. Don't tell me anything, Vince. That's that's the only way I can do it. Hey, speak English, will you? This is America. I talk like I want, and you don't say nothing. I tell you, this ain't gonna work. <laughs> You know, the government ain't gonna just sit around and let you stick them where it hurts the most. That sounds so familiar. Someone who was a war veteran who comes back and has to forcibly join his family business. Yeah, and 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 begrudgingly, in fact, begrudgingly? has to join his family Beg- because of a situation with his brother has to step in and take over. What the? And his br- and his brother is played by a gruff hothead. You know, oh. I, 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 it doesn't sound familiar at all. Um, the Brotherhood, first and foremost, besides the sexiness of the Wicker Man box set, the poster art oh. on the slipcase <laughs> of the Brotherhood is maybe the best art of any of the releases that we're seeing. Listen, outside Absolutely. the quality of the film, it is so hot. Lex and I rarely will text each other. I mean, we always text each other. About this <laughs> rarely text each other. I think we text each other every single day. Every day. No, but I mean, rarely text each other about the physical slipcases. But mm. like, I just remember your text coming through like, dude, the Brotherhood slipcase is so hot. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, but this was, this was a really interesting one because it is a very big, it's a very transitional movie, Lex. I found it that it's way myself watching it. It's a notorious movie, right? Like, you've, yeah. you're a big Godfather fan like myself. You've known about this movie your whole life because it's all the movie that almost got the Godfather to not be made. Yes. And, and you watch it and it has scenes that are set in Italy. It has Italian-speaking mafiosa. It has these, these tensions being made. And it's like, does this just feel like kind of exactly what Puzo was going for. The differences, though, is that while The Godfather kind of makes a kind of definitive and almost Shakespearean elevation of a family story, what probably keeps this so different and unique, even though they're playing in the same, I guess they're playing in the same sandbox, is that Mm. it's very, very intimate. It feels very close. It feels very close it feels like there's no other larger world or it doesn't at least feel like that for me watching it that there was a larger world as much on the outside of Mm. it this is um you know it's a martin ritt film um and so you've got someone who's obviously not an italian american making it you've got kirk douglas in the lead role who who also produced the film he's like sort of the don character the brother character and he's you know it's it's an interesting dynamic but it felt very confined to me like the brotherhood Mm. it felt like that story but like from where all of the other parts, the ephemera that make The Godfather so unique, 
uh, of the family and the actual culture that felt like just secondary. It was, it was, it was like the, the deep background, not brought to the foreground mm. like Coppola does with the Godfather trilogy. It's certainly not a rich movie uh, in no. any kind of way. It's a fascinating curiosity because, like you said, it's a film at the forefront of change. Uh, and when I say forefront, I mean like the forefront. Like this is this does not feel at all prelude like prelude to change. Exactly, it does not feel like a contemporary of The Godfather at all. It barely even feels like. You know, the classic gangster films of like the 30s and 40s, they're all about that rip from the headlines type deal. This just feels like an exercise in, I guess, you have to make a movie based on something. <laughs> I not even, can't even say it's an exercise in genre, but it's a fascinating curio it's a nonetheless. Yeah, it feels it's like a Western. It feels like a like Western, a Western. that... It feels like a Western morality tale that's setting itself inside a mafia family as opposed to a rich baron who owns land as opposed to, you know, a, a share, you know, a, a lawmakers and, you know, someone's come back from a war or something like that. It definitely feels like more of a Western morality tale that has been fused with these, you know, overarching sort of underworld themes. But mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't have, it doesn't care as much about the underworld themes as much as it does about the, I guess the the moral quandary of it all, and it's a, and and that's not to say that that doesn't work. You know, the terrific John Hillcoat Australian um, Western, the proposition takes a deeply elemental story about like you know trading an innocent for a, for trading an innocent for a mm-hmm. maniac, and it just happens to be a family and set alongside this frontier Australia that gives us a different perspective on I guess you know. Um, the Australian story as far as uh, colonization yeah. and those sorts of things. And that's a deeply elemental story um, and deeply, you know, fits in with these sort of Western themes mm. uh, of the genre. But this, this doesn't feel like it actually knows what it's doing. It's like, oh, well, we've played with mafia stories before. How, how can we use this as a bit of set dressing? It's just mm. a bit of costume cosplaying of mafia stuff. And, you know, Kirk Douglas is definitely trying something. He's speaking in another language. He's trying. They're trying to show a little bit off of the culture, but it just feels so forced, and it doesn't feel authentic at all. And yeah, and that's probably why you know when the Godfather comes along, it feels like it's satiating you. It's giving. It's quenching a thirst that you didn't know exactly. you realized you had. Um, and and movies like movies like The Brotherhood, mm. uh, you know. Do- are there to kind of lead you, I think, to the Godfather, but they don't. They don't make you want to go back. Uh, there's an interesting special feature on here called The Kiss of Death, Paramount and the Brotherhood, which is like a video essay worth getting into because it's talking about a lot of the things that we're talking about, like the historical nature of this film and why it has kind of a weirdly significant part in history and why it kind of pops up in the history books. The other film in this more contemporary to the Godfather uh, mafioso movies is one that had been on my radar for a couple of years. The Don is Dead. I don't care who killed who. I want to know how this whole mess got started. Where do you want to begin? Frankie? What? Your father. Tell me! Apollo's dead. Frankie is Don Paulo's only living son. And it seems only reasonable that he should inherit his family's uh, responsibilities. Frank is not ready yet. But he will be. When that time comes, you'll inherit my organization. 
There was an overseas uh, Blu-ray release that I had like in my cart since it was like a pre pre-order, but I never picked it up, thankfully, so I could get the imprint <laughs> one anyway. But that one stood out to me something very interesting because you know it's Anthony Quinn. One of my favorites. It's one Robert Forster, one of my favorites. And I had always been I'd been curious about it because it's just after The Godfather. And it's got some of the same cast. I know that uh is Alatiri. Alatiri's in both. Yeah, I was gonna say Abe Vigoda, but Abe Vigoda's in another no, one, Ab- right? No, Abe Vigoda's in both too. He's Abe Vigoda. Yeah. And Alatiri yeah. and Anthony Quinn, who not a lot of people realize, also was famous on stage for playing, uh, you know, playing in Streetcar Named Desire, yeah. which Brando made famous on the mm-hmm. stage and then eventually in the, in the cinema screen. And so it was kind of very much like, oh, we've got to, if we're going to make a movie like this, we definitely have to, you know, find a way to get a lot of that Godfather mm. flavor. Um, if yeah. we can, even Robert Forster feels like a very uh, James Caan, Sonny Corleone kind of totally. choice, big time. I mean, it's young Robert Forster. He's almost unrecognizable. You're like, holy shit, is that? Mm. He's so he's so young. Like I've always yeah. thought of him as 50 years old. Like exactly. it's a very different Robert Forster than the one that you might have in your head if you're a huge fan of Jackie Brown. But it's before he um, gets those hair plugs that he he's <laughs> famous for in like the 80s and stuff. I've just watched Alligator, and they even joke about his hair plugs in the, in the movie. <laughs> it, was just, it was just pre-hair plugs. But now this, if we're talking about the Brotherhood, you know, being basically a Western morality tale, mm-hmm. this is unfortunately as far as its quality it's a great curio to own because Mm. for us and for people who are fans of things like the godfather you've heard about this damn movie your whole life and it's been really hard to acquire and you want it to actually say well what's going on here like it's got some great actors what's going on but it is exactly the thing i guess that everyone feared that the godfather would be which is that a jewish director and a bunch of non-italian american writers who have adapted the film Um, because it was uh, Christopher Trumbo adapted it with Michael Butler. Mm -hmm. And you've got this very sunny, light, brightly lit, kind of semi-Vegas set, very old classic. Like it feels like a total throwback. And it feels like it's not even made in the same decade as The Godfather. Mm. It feels more like a Euro crime thriller uh, than a mafia or gangster movie. Like it feels like those Italian Euro crime thrillers from like the 60s and early 70s and stuff rather than than the excitement or the grit or the authenticity that we know uh, from gangster movies before this and after this. Um, but I got to tell you, there's one moment that really stood out to me. There is a truly freaking hectic car explosion in this movie yeah. that knocked me out. It felt so powerful and violent it straight up disappears the guy that's there. Like, it's the explosion happens and he's just no longer there at all. He just fully disappears. And the way that that's set up, I thought was such a thrilling sequence. Uh, I love, love, love that sequence. And it kind of made me appreciate, like, how good this movie does look. Like, it's got a great 70s look, this kind of clean 70s vibe. It's so different to what I would want from one of these movies. But I still quite liked it. I don't think I loved this movie, but there was no. enough curiosity there for me versus The Brotherhood, which is a movie I knew more about um, and had seen already. I think I saw The Brotherhood, like, 
so long ago now. But this one had offered me a little bit more. And I guess it's just because I love freaking Anthony Quinn. I love, love Ava Goda. I love Al Latieri. I love Victor Argo. There's so many guys. And Robert Forster. You know, it's hard to get sick of him on screen. So this yeah, is look, uh, my, my other as... favorite moment. My other favorite moment, which is not explosive, was just seeing the mediated discussions about Mm. how they were divvying up different patches of the Mafia's sort of turf between different uh, people and and watching all these very cordial discussions that you know were kind of loaded with betrayal. I think that's Mm. actually the very best that the Don is at is for me is those conversations where they're all very much cordial and they're agreeing to things, but you can just feel like... This is also tenuous. It's all going to go to hell. And I think that that's probably the best, the anticipation and when the movie's um, conveying what it's doing rather than actually saying and executing what it does. Like those, those anticipate anticipation moments for me were like big highlights. I was like, Oh my mm. God, this is going to get, this is going to be amazing. And it, it just never quite lived up to the hype of all those actors and, and all those things for me. But again, if you're a if you're a student of the University of Cinephile, um, as Lexi is uh, an honorary uh, an honorary uh, lecturer um, <laughs> at, uh, if you if you are that, then this is something that if you've been a fan of things like The Godfather, you kind of like you need to. These are the blind spots you need to inform, like mm. inform an entire genre. Like I yeah. love finding these movies that just didn't work in the wake of these massive genre breakers. It's really interesting. The next film in this kind of mafioso cycle that we're discussing comes from 1972, the same year The Godfather came out. And this one is actually, I would say, a bit more of an iconic classic. Uh, It offers quite a few surprises, but the movie is Barry Shears' Across 110th Street. We have no K-Week. I will versus gang versus gang versus heist versus robbers movie. <laughs> I hadn't seen it for quite a few years. I'd actually picked up the Kino Lorber Blu-ray uh, at the very start of the pandemic because I had like a hankering to watch it. <laughs> and I don't think I ever got to it until this one finally came around. And I tell you what surprised me most, Blake, because it had been a long time since I saw it. I listen to Across 110th Street, the Curtis Mayfield song, a lot. Like, it's in a few of my playlists. It's a go-to song for me. Uh, You know, when I host movie trivia at Golden Age Cinema, it's in the playlist. (laughs) I couldn't believe when this movie started that it was a different version of that song that I had no memory of. <laughs> it's not that the it's not sorry it's not the radio release of the track it's a completely different version of the song it's, it's a completely like different stripped version. down and barely there yeah yeah that it's and that 
it's like that juiced up version. It's like the version you can't quite quench. If you do mm-hmm. like the movie version, that is more stripped down because you identify it with the movie. It's not the one that you hear all the time. No, it's awesome. Yeah. So I I have hadn't seen this movie for a long time. Do you know what I really appreciated as well was the structure. Things are such yes. an interestingly structured film where it starts with like this bungled heist that shouldn't have ever happened. And then I find it so interesting the way that we cut around to the different storylines. Then when we start aligning with different characters, for the most part, we're following Anthony Quinn and Yafet Koto as like these cops almost in the heat of the night style trying to track Mm. track these uh, bungled burglars down. And... I found the structure to be really fascinating this time. Like it kept me gripped in really interesting ways. And the ending, oh my God, I forgot the ending. It is a bit of an all-timer. Yeah, absolutely an all-timer. And I would just say, and this is with the greatest respect in the heat of the night, the tension that is between Yafet Koto and Anthony Quinn, for me, because I think Sidney Poitier is doing basically all the heavy lifting as Tibbs in in the heat of the night. And Rod Steiger for me is someone who just feels like he's dwarfed by how much charisma and how amazing Porte is. Whereas Yafet Koto and Anthony Quinn, their dynamic of two different legacies of how to police and how to be mm. a, a guardian of a community and how to think about innocence rather than this kind of like inherent tribalism holy shit, their chemistry and their tension and the way that the chemistry, the alchemical thing that they bounce off of each other. I just, I'm completely blown away by this movie. I, I watched it very recently too. I streamed it. It was on the Criterion channel for a little bit. It was in that great um, New York compendium of films, a whole bunch of New York stories that were together. I watched it then. I was like blown away. And again, with the greatest respect to our streaming pals, streaming sucks and it's never as great quality as Blu-ray. So like mm-hmm. checking this out on Blu-ray and having this, beautiful, clear, um, you know, completely upscaled um, uh, 1080p high definition presentation that was acquired from MGM. I was just like, it looks amazing. It feels amazing. The textures of the city are all there. It's got this very verite kind of new, um, you know, Italian neorealist, you know, but supplanted Mm. into New York City view. I just, this is, this has got all the 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 anger and the, the hard edges of black exploitation, but it's in like a really glitzy big money mm. production and it just works in spades it's a yeah i would say it's that with including of that ending it's just this is an essential movie like so when i saw mm. this on list i was like oh my god this is such a great acquisition this is a, a this would have been a a blake movie without being an imprint movie i would yeah. have had to have had any copy i could have got my hands on over this month yeah i agree this is a cool one i'm glad that we got to revisit it uh, I think that you're right. Like, it's a bit of... Like, if you're a crime fan, if you love stuff like the French Connection, I feel like this is... Oh, totally. One that's, like, really worth catching up with because it kind, of, it kind of can be a bit elusive here in Australia. I know that it was on stand for a little while, but across 110th Street, it is... It's, it's a banger and it continues to surprise. French Connection, 1971, across 110th Street, 1972... We just talked about the golden age. Mm. That's a double. Isn't that a double feature? Let's get that double feature happening. Let's throw that into the universe. Yeah. Two things I want to shout out as part of the Blu-ray. Firstly, 
Matthew Asprey-Gear, who's been a guest on the show talking to Gambler previously. He did mm-hmm. a terrific commentary for The Gambler, which is another great imprint, imprint release way back, it feels now. Has also done the commentary track here, done another outstanding job, a very great historical perspective on everything happening in the production and the significance of all the players and especially the time that it was produced. And because Anthony Quinn's your guy and I knew that he was, there's a terrific doco on here from 1990 mm. called Anthony Quinn and Original, which really documents his career and just shows off his absolutely, I mean, just fascinating, incredible, rich, diverse career. And yeah. it's it's just, it's so, it, I it's a documentary that I watched and I just smiled from ear to ear while I was watching it. It was such a great treat after watching 110th Street, which is a very tense experience. Yeah. And then just like getting to just like, just smile at Anthony Quinn, like one of the coolest actors ever lived. And just, he just lives up to the hype of just being a scallywag and just yeah. being a charmer. It's just I've- great. It's I've totally seen this documentary years ago <laughs> on like the classic movie channel on cable. <laughs> yeah, and because totally. I was a big Anthony Quinn guy, I remember my grandma and I watching that doco together. And I think that's when I fell in love with him. Where I was like, because I knew him as Zorba the Greek or whatever, but then seeing like some of the other movies that he was in, I became a big fan of a Kirk Douglas movie, Lust for Life, that stars Anthony Quinn and Kirk Douglas plays Vincent van Gogh. I always yes. love that movie. That's how I discovered it was from that documentary. Um, well, now that we've done our Godfather adjacent trilogy, I want to read you a little passage from a website called Secret Handshake, which do some incredible podcasts and, um, and, and catalogs of sort of these movies that are on the fringes. It's a passage written by a dear friend of mine and a friend of everything that we do at One Heat Minute Productions, Travis Woods, who has written one of the definitive essays about this film. He writes on Secret Handshake about Cutter's Way, and I'm going to read you this passage, adapted from director Ivan Passer, screenwriter Jeffrey Friskin from Newton Thorberg's 1976 Vietnam, uh, Vietnam hangover novel Cutter and Bone. Cutter's Way isn't a buddy comedy, even though its lead characters are fitfully buddies and wickedly funny. It isn't a detective movie either, even though Cutter obsessively investigates the death of a Santa Barbara teenager. It isn't a mystery, even though the mystery of the killer's identity drives the film's bleak plot to its devastating gunshot of an ending. Holy shit. Cutter's way uh, really, truly was something that I had not seen, something that I'd heard so much about. This film starring Jeff Bridges, John Hurd, Lisa Eichhorn, Stephen Elliott, Nina Van Palant, and Dusenberry and Chris Noth, directed by Ivan Passar. Holy shit, Alex. I, I was just blown away by the damn ambiguity mm. and ugliness of Cutter's Way. It was such a special movie for me. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. This clown enough to cover any damage. You'll get it back in a couple hours. Come on. Introducing Alex Cutter. How do I look? Hey, you look like a fat man on a horse, Georgie. Huh? Black's rich. Cutter's wife, Mo. The, um, Richard Bone fan club is now complete. 
This, for instance, is a tomato. Food, huh? Yeah, I remember food. People used to have to eat it during the prohibition, didn't they? Occasionally for days on end. Cutter's best friend. My charger's got a bad battery, but will I do? <laughs> oh, no, you're too old. <laughs> Richard Bone. This is my pick of the whole batch as well. Like, you know, put Wicker Man aside. That's a classic. It's one of my favorites. Put it aside. This was a huge surprise for me. I don't think I'd ever even freaking heard of it, Blake. First time I heard of it was it being announced and you go like, oh, cut his way. That's a good one. My friend Travis has a great essay about it. So I just went through the whole the whole experience where it's once again reliving it all. And I freaking loved this movie i watched it with my mom last weekend because i know that she loves jeff bridges and she loves like these kind of like 70s neo-noirs and this just being post 70s 1981 its heart is in that american new wave especially it's a european filmmaker right coming over to america that feels so american new wave like it's like milos foreman type stuff and i love 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 this movie to me it's now an essential neo-noir film and it is all on those dual performances of jeff bridges who we love he's a movie star he's one of the best but john hurd who we mainly know from home alone as the dad from home alone or as that like corrupt cop in the sopranos i have always or my, f- or my favorite, the guy who gets killed by hot Stanley Tucci in the Pelican Brief. Like, mm-hmm. just some random dude. And in this, his role as Alex Carter, the Vietnam vet, the, the, the eye patch wearing, stumbling, injured, just absolute scallywag Vietnam vet um, who his investigation basically leads, as, as that, that uh, snippet said, to the devastating end of this movie. I was just like, where is this John Hurd? Like, yeah. where is where where has he been all our lives? He truly like embodies like this very rich, transformative characterization in this film. He's unrecognizable. He's unrecognizable as a character. You like this is like a living guy on this film. <laughs> like he they really found a guy. They found a guy in a bar and got him to do this role. It's like truly. Insane. It's like those early kind of Dustin Hoffman performances like, you know, Ratso yes. and Midnight Cowboy. But to me, kind of pushes that bar even further than like Dusty ever really could. I think that he is just fantastic. And I tell you what I think really kills it for this one for me. What I really loved is I love it when Noir gets emotional. And this is mm. like, this movie is very slow to find the emotions. But once it does, you're sunken in. This is like a real deep feeling movie. And like you said, that ending is a ripper for all the ages. Like that is <laughs> an unbelievable, exciting ending where it's like the emotion and the noir meet together to like have this real consequential finale. This is this is really fantastic. And we're talking so much about that John Hurd performance. There's a bonus feature on here that is wicked, man. Like, it's truly fantastic. It is an introduction by Jeff Bridges. And Jeff Bridges filmed now, like, for this release. 2022, yeah. Introducing this movie, and he want he the reason he did it was because he loves John Hurd's performance so much that he want to honor his like you know rest in peace his great friend that's no longer with us by introducing this movie and 
I think it is so cool. It would be up there with like, even though it's so small, it's like a snippet. It would be up there with my favorite special features across the imprint board for like the pure hearted emotion of uh, Bridges coming back to introduce it because he loves that role and that performance from his friends so much. And can I just say, your filmmaking impulse um, is on show again. EMI originally backed the film to be made, to be directed by Robert Mulligan with Dustin Hoffman to star as Alex Cutter Mm, before it it eventually, it's so, you're so right. It's like this transformative Ratso Rizzo S they're like, yeah, we can get a guy who can get to these depths. And I I just think that's, what's even, I don't know. It's like scary. Good Mm. about John Hurd's performance is that it's so out of left field. Like if you don't, if you don't have an eye for this guy and you're not familiar with him and I guess, you know, home alone, if you, if we didn't say Home Alone and you watch Cutter's Way, it would probably infuriate the shit out of you watching yeah. it going, who the hell is this guy? I know like, this guy's face. Who I know is this, he? I know his face. Who is he? And yeah, he. it's just, it's it's a terrific movie. It completely flopped at United States box mm. office. And one of the things I think is fascinating, which I love, we've just been talking about movies that have that hangover from the American New Wave. I love movies that are made in like the 80s, and early, especially the the early eighties, like eighty one, eighty two, because some of them you can feel they've been starting mm. to be produced in the late seventies, and they just they carry that ethos, they carry this fundamental existential crisis, they carry this fundamental distrust, they carry this you know inherent corruption, and and it really has a real kinship with you know other movies that I love, especially Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice, which mm. is very much a movie that lives in this um, kind of world, yeah, and it's 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 a really stunning movie. It's not long. It flies by. And mm. as Lex said, there's a while where it kind of holds you at arm's length. And before you know it, when it sneaks up on you, it has its hooks in you. It's just a special movie top to bottom. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, uh, I'll, I'll definitely link Travis's terrific essay at secret handshake for you mm-hmm. guys to read it because it's just really special. He's a special writer and he has a special relationship with this movie. You'll hear him coming up. Um, on on one of the imprint uh, commentaries, which we're going to be covering in next month's next Epic month's Batch. batch. Um, Before we move on, Blake, can I say something about Cutter's Way that please. I feel very strongly about? And it's like you kind of it's you something you were saying, especially with Travis and his relationship with this movie. Is this is a movie that I can very safely say, seeing it now, my relationship with this movie has just begun. Like yes. this is one that's going to stick around for me. This is one I'm going to revisit a lot. And it's very, it's a very rare thing where you find a new film or new to you film rather, where you just know it's like, oh, I've got a relationship with this movie. It's just starting. And that's, I really think I'm going to grow more strongly uh, fond of this movie, more deeply in love with this movie. It's something really, really special. I'm, this is probably up there with like the films I'm most grateful for imprint introducing me to. Last and certainly not least in this batch that we're going to deep dive on, we have to talk about a 1974 thriller directed by Frank Perry. Um, And if you don't immediately know that name, Frank Perry is the incredible filmmaker who worked in partnership with his wife for many, many movies. Um, uh, And I'm just going to go through that before I talk about Mm. his wife, Eleanor. It's a great filmography. Movies like The Swimmer. You know, such a deeply influential movie. I think, like, it's so many people 
have, have said sort of it, it, poking fun in a nice way going, you could watch all six scenes of Mad Men mm-hmm. or you could watch The Swimmer and yeah. you eventually have the exact same experience. Another Truly. movie that's been, written, that's been written about so uh, p- profoundly, Diary of a Mad Housewife. Um, uh, you know, he's, he's been Academy Award nominated for his independent film, David and Lisa. Um, and this film from 1974 is a thriller. It's about a small town police chief who's investigating a murder and he gets offered help from a self-described psychic. And as he's building this relationship with this clairvoyant, it starts to become very ambivalent and very strange and tenuous because he starts to wonder, is this person simply posing as a clairvoyant and they're the killer or are they a genuine clairvoyant? The movie we're talking about is Man on a Swing. It stars Cliff Robinson and Joel Grey. I knew it was Maggie's car. And something really seemed spooky about it. Sitting there, empty in the sun. I got sort of a nutty call on hold, Chief. Who is that? The guy says he's a clairvoyant. Says he wanted to help us solve the case. I'm Franklin Wills. Uh, Bruce marks are uh, well, they're around the neck, but they don't go. They're not. They're not. They're not all the way around the victim's neck. Hey! I'll kill you, Wills. You son of a bitch! I'll kill you. Why don't we all go to a séance and let Margaret Dawson? Man, oh man, I had such. And there's another Layla Schifrin score where there's a yeah. few movies Layla Schifrin scores here. But I was just like, I watched this and I remember texting you almost immediately. And mm-hmm. I was like, Lex, I may have found the batch. I may have found a batch winner. This is before we both encountered Carter's yeah. way in a full experience. But I was like, I think I found my survival. Uh, sorry. I think I found my uh, pick of the batch as far as the surprise of the batch uh, mm. this month. I had such a good time in Man on a Swing. What about you? Oh, man, I really enjoyed this. The first half hour especially, fascinating. So interestingly shot. Like, I was kind of kept on the edge of my seat just with, like, the shot selection and, like, the structure of the shots and how the story unfolds visually. The first shot of this movie during the opening credits is one long extended take of a camera strapped to the top of a police car as it rips towards a crime scene. And it feels so real and so dangerous and so exciting. I, from that moment, I was like, this is a special movie. This is an interesting movie. (laughs) It's such an interesting, unique take on a procedural because it's almost like the crime stops being investigated at a certain point. And it starts Mm. being like about the investigation itself and the consequences of the investigation. And Joel Gray playing this, I think it's a wicked performance uh, as this clairvoyance. It's really interesting. And there's a great bonus feature on here, um, which is a new, for this release, interview with Joel Gray reminiscing and talking about this performance. And it's so wild because it's left quite ambiguous in this um, as to whether he is someone who has committed these crimes or if he's a genuine clairvoyant. It's left in the realms of, you know, maybe ambiguous is the wrong word, but it doesn't, you don't have clear cut answers all the way down. And 
I re I think this is a really weird. This is a really weird one. If you're a police procedural fan, you'll get a lot of how out of how freaking wacky and strange this <laughs> is. Because it's like at the at the, for a lot of it, it feels quite straight up and down, like a cool police procedural with some interesting stylistic touches. But then it just kind of transforms into something else, where like Clint. Clint even goes freaking psycho in this. Like he's <laughs> he's 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 a bizarre actor to me. I'm always drawn to him because I'm like, man, this guy looks like a million years old always, and then he's like <laughs> ten billion years old in like freaking Spider Man. Um, yeah, and there's also a great video essay. Uh, oh, the show must go on. The Frank Perry oh, and the Framing American Dreamland. This is that. an essay by Howard S. Berger and Kevin Ma. This is one of the best. Best, best, best documents I think I've ever seen put together as a video essay. It is mm. absolutely fantastic. It goes through the entire career of Frank Perry. It talks about this as the very tippity top, the mountaintop of everything that he ever mm. does. It talks about the swimmer. It talks about everything that he does with Mommy Dearest, which is a yeah. couple of years later. And it I is like Mommy fan- Dearest as well. It's a fun movie. Fun movie, fantastic story about Frank Perry as a as a director, about his relationship with his wife, about everything that led to him being mm. a personality in cinema and incredibly interesting and diverse filmography too. But just the way that this unfolds, I was like, this is, as a person who writes a lot of film criticism and produces a lot of kind of like independent documentary style mm. um, uh, unpackings of films and filmographies, Holy heck, I was so impressed by that. I was just like, this is really terrific. The, the choices of the footage, the the, the the particular pacing, I was just like, it was such a transfixing experience, so suitable for this movie. And the mm. fact that they positioned this, you know, this hidden genre piece in a very, you know, classic sort of Andrew Saris way of like the genre movie is the one that has all of those ingredients that he yep. was stretching out when he had more freedom, but has to be more confined and controlled with. I, I just, it just blew me away. It made me have a whole new appreciation for for what he does with this and it's not necessarily you know his most well-known movie if you look at the career of frank perry it's mommy dearest it's david and lisa it's it's last summer it's the swimmer it's uh truman capote's trilogy which Mm -hmm. was adapted in 69 so it's 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 all these other things but man on the swing was just like it feels like every every single contemporary procedural is reaching for the mommy swing like they're trying to do show they're trying to play their whole TV series like this all the time. There's even one episode of Law and, S- Law and Order SVU that is <laughs> very much, I think it would have to be based on the tr- same true crime story that the yes. book and then in turn this movie were based on. And it's got Martin Short in the role of the clairvoyant. Um, that is, it's up there with my favorite SVU episodes um, that I'm obviously am an obsessive of that stupid show uh, that is well worth catching up with, especially if you've seen this and you want a little something extra. Um, there's also a Frank Perry movie that I would love to recommend that I caught up with this year as well. Um, I bought the uh, Fun City Cinema Blu-ray of Rancho Deluxe, which is mm. Jeff Bridges and Sam Waterston, uh, also Law & Order uh, alumni Sam Waterston <laughs> in that. That's a really cool, fun movie. Um, Frank Perry is slowly becoming someone that I'm very fascinated by. Well, look, that is going to have to do us for this epic April imprint Mm -hmm. companion. We have probably an even more epic May coming up shortly. Um, 
I would say undoubtedly more. I think it could be the (laughs) biggest batch. We've got that Neo Noir box set that we're in doing commentary for Twilight. And yes, dude, straight up, my most anticipated Blu ray release, maybe of all time, because I've desperately wanted it since the format began, which is a big ass box of the warriors with the actual theatrical freaking cut on physical freaking media i have dreamed of it the warriors director's cut was one of my first 10 blu-rays that i bought (laughs) and i've been pissed off ever since that we don't have the theatrical cut Well, the theatrical cut is there. It's got a commentary track by the great Walter Chaw, who's a friend of ours. He's just just such a terrific writer who's pretty much the primo Walter Hill expert Mm -hmm. on earth. Um, There is so many other great stuff in the After Dark Neo-Noir collection. Obviously, After Dark, My Sweet Rush, One False Move, Mortal Thoughts, Flesh and Bone, including also Twilight, where Alexi and I feature with our commentary track, The Contender and Bloody Sunday. It's a massive May batch, oh, and then just—it's it's, huge, it's, dude. It's, Blake, can I tell you? I actually watched the Contender today because I got my test discs. Ooh. Oh man, I can't wait to hear freaking your thoughts on it because it's very much inspired by Friedkin, uh, Pakula, and Frankenheimer. Well, and then we've gone. We go into we go back to some epics after that. We then go into the June batch, which is Barabbas. Again, we've got some Anthony Quinn there. We've got Barabbas. We've got Julius Caesar, the Nelson affair, a night to remember, damn the defiant, the long ships. And uh, for someone who's starting a project called podcaster and commander, few long ships, movies, few classic nautical tales, something I'm keen to catch up with, but man, it's been great chatting to you again. Likewise. This is always fun. Always fun. Um, where can people hear your good self? Uh, down in the pod waves right now. Uh, check out Total Reboot. We just kicked off a new mini series about heist movies. Right now, sitting in front of me, I'm talking to one of the great experts of heist movies who I'm sure will be popping up at least one time on that mini series. We've got Exciting. episodes talking about Oceans 11, 12, and 13, a big trilogy episode out right now uh it's a classic re-release of probably one of my favorite episodes ever of total reboot putting that back out for new listeners and also this week we got dog day afternoon the iconic dropping right for you (laughs) i i can't wait to hear it because in your last episode on oceans 11 through 13 Mm -hmm. you talked about a a school trip to Canberra and your <laughs> teachers showing Dog Day Afternoon on a school bus and you being smashed uh, to oblivion from your yeah. peers about loving that movie and you just realizing it maybe wasn't the best bus movie to travel uh, between the capital. threw me under that bus, dude, putting on my <laughs> DVD copy of freaking Dog Day Afternoon for all to watch. You're like, yeah, he's cool. You're going to like this movie. And I'm like, God damn it. I'm bombed. I'm bombed with Dog Day <laughs> Well, uh, if if you guys are listening to this, uh, you'll you, you may be listening to Imprint Companion in its own feed, or if you're listening in One Hit Minute Productions. Currently, right now, um, in One Hit Minute Productions, we've got uh, a Blues Brothers with Lex and I covering other physical media mm-hmm. released around Australia and the globe. So we're going to be talking on there. You can hear Miami Nice and our special mini series Tokyo Nice covering all Ooh. the episodes of the latest HBO Max series. Tokyo Vice. We're going to have some other guests coming up on that. That's where you can hear from me. And right now I'm just uh, tinkering. I'm just a tinkering. I'm putting together our next extended series, but these things take a lot of work and a lot of time. So I, it's not 
immediately ready to go um, as as yet, but uh, we are working on that because we may just be waiting for mm-hmm. one very uh, lucky Jack uh, to, uh-huh. to make his availability ready before we can set sail on this thing. So uh, a series called Podcaster and Commander already featuring the only interview with Peter Weir on mm-hmm. any podcast ever. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're pretty excitedly getting that ready to go. Absolutely. Guys, thank you for joining us on our celebration of the discs, of physical media, of imprint films on Imprint Companion. Until next time, enjoy media in all of its forms. Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts.